My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. So this morning, you know, I kind of approached the stage with, uh, you know, just a lot of uh, humility in the sense of, man, we're talking about the gospel uh, today. We're in this series of Acts, and it's, it's, it's a real big deal, uh, but, man, talking about the gospel is so hard but so simple. And so as I approach it, I just, man, I'm, I'm excited about it because I know that it moves no matter what. Um, and so I'm excited for what the gospel is going to do this morning, what it's already doing in your lives before you got here this morning. Um, we are going to turn to Acts 2. Uh, so you can open up the Bible if you'd like. Um, some people like reading, you know, that old style print thing. Um, and some of us, you know, want it on our phone and others of us want it on the screen. So it uh, doesn't matter. We got a long passage. So hang on for a ride because we're going to go, I don't know how many verses. Is you, someone else can do the math and tell me. So I can say that at six o'clock tonight. Um, all right. So then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, and even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will, call, I will cause wonders in the heavens above, and singing on the earth below, blood and fire and the clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark, and the moon will turn blood red. But before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and he his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of the lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. 
Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had had promised with an oath to one of David's own descendants would sit on the throne. David was looking into the future, speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in the heaven and at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see here today, for David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him, said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all the listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. (sighs) We made it. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, thank you so much for who you are. You know, we're, we're, we're here not by accident this morning because you've called us here. And we may think we make plans. We may, we may think we're doing something that we chose to do. But the truth is, Lord, you determine our steps. And so we thank you for that. Whatever we've carried in this door, wherever we're at as we've walked in this place, I pray you would meet us there. You know, if we're, if we're feeling like, man, I, I don't know what I've got to look forward to, I pray you would meet us there. Some of us are in relational turmoil right now, Father. I pray you would show up in the midst of that. Um, Lord, you are so, so good. And as we just hear about the story of your son today, may you just, may you just move in a mighty way. We all need it, God. We all need it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So some of you may know me. Um, some of you may not. Uh, as I said, I'm the youth pastor. That part was clear. But I want to talk about my journey over the last kind of year or so and what God's kind of been doing in my heart. And for some of you, I, I shared this back in July. I'm going to kind of skim over it. But I, I do believe that we as the church need to lean into this thing called mental health. Um, I believe that we have to be advocates. I believe we got we to gotta show the world how to approach it because they, they don't. I'm not trying to take any therapist or take any of the scientific um, expertise from the doctors because I use them and I love them, but I really believe as the church, we, we, we do have to lean into this because that's where our students are at. That's what they're wrestling with. They're wrestling with anxiety and depression and all these things. And so my journey um, with this started about two years ago and I didn't really know what was going on. I started having symptoms, started having signs, started experiencing things that I couldn't put words into. Um, and then about a year later, so about a year ago, I uh, kind of came to that wits end moment where I was just kind of done. Um, I was starting to kind of, I was just breaking down and I finally shared what was going on with me, which was kind of hard to explain, to be honest. And so I'll, I'll do my best here on the stage to kind of explain some of the thoughts and some of the things I was experiencing. But the truth was, is I would hop in my car in the morning or whenever, and I'd get in my driveway, and I'd sit there, and I'd sit at the wheel, and I'd be looking at it, and I'd start getting that overwhelming feeling that I was going to run over someone, or that I was going to hit someone, or that I was going to sideswipe a car, or that I was going to do, and 
I'm in my driveway. There's no cars moving. There's no people in my driveway. But this is really what starts right as soon as I get in my car. And so I drive and I'd be looking left, looking right the entire time I'm driving. Uh, most people stay in the right lane. I took the yellow line as like, if I drive over that, I know I can't hit anything. Um, so, except on coming traffic, which I would get in my side. Um, and so I would, I'd turn on the road and I'd stay away from cars. It, you know, I might be cutting it close by someone who's walking on the sidewalk and I'd have to double, do a double take to make sure I didn't hit them. They're on the sidewalk. I'm driving on the road. There's no chance, but this is where my brain's going. And so basically how this would look is I'd be driving down the road. And, uh, as I drive down the road, I would, I would have this overwhelming fear and this thought come over me and in my head that says, oh, you might might have hit someone back there or you got a little close to that car you might have you might have sideswiped and I didn't but it would not leave me alone and so as I would drive on and I drive on I would get to this place where I finally am I gotta go turn around and go I gotta go check I gotta go check and so that's what I do I'd go back to the place and I'd check and of course nothing's there nothing's going on and so then I would go okay time to go forward and I start driving forward to the place I was going to and then all of a sudden it'd be like well did I see that correctly you know, maybe I should go back and check again. And you can kind of see how the story goes. And eventually I would get to my destination, but not if it wasn't for anxiety and sweat and almost just feeling like I can't even drive anymore down the road or, or go anywhere. And this is just one of the symptoms that I started to experience. So I was, I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder and uh, it, it really plagued me. And it got to the point where I was getting terrible gas mileage. And it's funny. Um, I can talk about it now because God has done so much since, you know. Um, um, but the truth is, you kind of get in these moments and you, you get in these places and it's, it's hard to explain. It really is. I mean, there was a point where I just stopped driving altogether. I couldn't. My wife was dropping me off at work and someone was taking me home or I was walking home. I mean, that's, that's where it was. And to the point I was, when the therapist told me I had to drive again, I was just like, I, I don't want to. So what would I do? I hop in my little Corolla and I drive and my wife would follow me to work because that was the best way to do it. Um, it made me feel safe. How about that? So, uh, that's where I was at, you know, and as I, I share that up on the stage, it's kind of hard to explain. It's kind of hard to make sense of it. It's kind of hard to share that. And I believe the truth is though, that we're all kind of have anxiety at some point in our lives. We all have some fear. We all have some worry. We all have some things that are kind of irrational, honestly. And we, we're all battling against those moments and those times. And the truth is, is I believe that that anxiety and that fear and that worry is what really isolates us. Um, really keeps us, because for me, I didn't want to share that with anyone. How do you explain that? I mean, how do you explain what's really going on, what you're thinking, the thoughts, the, the disgust, the shame, the guilt, all of that that you're feeling in that moment? And we all have these moments. I mean, we could walk into a place and it could remind us of the, trage- the tragedy that occurred so many t- earlier times in our life. And we can just go, oh my goodness. And we shut down and we stop talking. And, you know, maybe someone's with us and they go, what's wrong? And you're like, oh, nothing. Because you don't even know how to explain it. I mean, it's too far to go back. Too many details to unravel. Too many things that you haven't even processed yet. You know, and it just doesn't really make sense. And I, and I think it's the same thing with sin and areas where we rebel against God and we, and we get our lives into trouble. You know, it's like we, we get into areas that don't make sense. And what happens is we're all of a sudden we're happily married, but yet we're watching pornography on the screen. And it's like, it doesn't make sense. And then we, we find ourselves like we're spending money even though there's no money and it doesn't make sense. 
And we're finding ourselves in this pattern and in places where it just doesn't make sense. And someone asks us what's wrong or we try to get into, we, like we want to share, but it doesn't make sense. Like, why would I do what I'm doing if this is what, and we all find ourselves in these situations. I firmly believe that. And it may not be to the level of that. It may be a lower level of that, but I see it going on all the way throughout um, students, RA, students, oh, my age, <laughs> I'm the youth pastor, students, uh, Students in our, in our youth program all the time. It's, it's hard to share and be vulnerable. That's why, we push, that's why we really push people into groups. We go, hey, you got to find a place where you can talk about these things. And you're not going to sound weird because the person across the room is struggling with something else. All right? And it's hard, though. It's really hard to break through that because it's so hard to explain. And so I think the same thing when it comes to the gospel, we're called to go to the ends of the earth as Christians with it. We're supposed to go to, to places and to spread this good news. And the truth is, if we really go look at the gospel message and we, and we understand it, we go, it's kind of hard to explain. It doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense. And yet we're called to explain it, right? And, and we sit here and we, and we, we kind of wrestle with that and we go, okay, yeah, Jesus died. He was here alive. And he rose and we kind of work our way through. And it's like, don't forget talking about the sins. Don't, don't, don't forget that piece of it and make sure you say this. And it's like, we, we put all this pressure on ourselves. And if you really think about the gospel in the, real, in the terms of what it is and, and really what it represents is that there's a God so big out there, so wide, so vast, so expanse that his love is uncontrollable that he would actually send his son to die for you. It's like, you can't put that into words. You can't understand that. You can't explain that to the level at which it is. That's so hard to do. And yet we are called to do that. It's like, there's a God out there who's going to leave 99 sheep to go after one. He's going to leave 99 alone to go after one. It doesn't make sense. God's love does not make sense, yet we are called to go and take it to the ends of the earth. It's like, What? How do we do that? And yet we see Peter here in the story preaching the first sermon ever, preaching this would be the first sermon explaining, hey, there's all these, there's all these believers speaking in different languages. We're coming on the scene from last week when Pe Pastor Shane talked about Pentecost. There's flames, there's different languages going on. People are showing up. It's either giving them two responses, awe and wonder, or trying to make sense of something. They must be drunk. And so that's what we see going on. Peter's in the same boat. He's got to unpack the gospel, something that's so hard to explain, something that doesn't necessarily make sense, and he's got to put words to it. And so he starts off preaching this last sermon by quoting the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. See, we, we kind of need to understand who Peter's talking to here. The Jews who would have been gathered around from all these different nations have different languages that they speak. They're all gathered for what would have been the Passover meal. Now this is 50 days after the fact. Jesus died 50 days ago. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The Spirit has descended. We're 50 days. That's where we're at. And so we see this all of a sudden. And these, and these Jews are still gathered in the town of Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, they all speak different languages, and they hear this wind, they hear the flames, they come in, they're going, oh my gosh, this is crazy. This is wild. Like, what's going on here? And Peter gets up, and he knows his audience, he's speaking into his audience, he's like, all these people are looking forward to the Messiah. They're looking for a superhero. They're looking for someone to take all the wrongs and make them right, to take the Roman oppression and deliver them from it. That's what they're looking for. They're looking to get out of the season they're in. 
They, are, they, they have lived a life in anticipation of holding the scriptures, the truth, saying, hey, we are waiting for the Messiah. Because when the Messiah comes, yes, then we're, then we're good. Then we're in the clear. They're living for this time. And so as Peter opens this up, trying to explain what's going on, all these people speaking in different languages, he goes, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. I'll pour out my spirit among all people. The Holy Spirit has descended. It is dwelling in, its, in the believers. That's what's going on. But bigger than that is actually the time frame. He says, in the last days. When he says, in the last days, the Jewish mind would have gone, oh, he's speaking to the messianic times, which means the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. That's what Peter's basically saying to him. And they're going, what? And so he keeps going on further, and, he, and then we get to this next piece, and he's talking about Jesus the Nazarene, which is who, how they would have known Jesus. He says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him. As you well know, but, but God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to the cross and killed him. Peter's going, hey, okay, the Messiah's come. Now let me present the gospel to you. All right? Powerful miracles, wonder signs through him, as you well know. This Jewish audience sitting here, you're looking at him. They, they would have known who Jesus was. This wasn't just some guy who showed up on the scene. No, he's, he's feeding thousands out of nothing. The deaf are hearing. The lame are walking. The blind are seeing. Crazy, crazy things are going on. And so they would have known. They would have heard stories about it. Some of them would have been there when they're saying, hey, crucify him. They would have been in the crowd. Jesus wasn't some stranger. He wasn't some guy that no one knew about. The Jews knew about Jesus the Nazarene. They knew who this guy was. And so Peter's going, hey, hey, you know this is the Messiah because look at the acts and the wonders and the signs. This is the life of Christ. Gospel point number one, the life of Christ. Then he goes on, he goes a little bit further. He says, but God knew what would happen. He prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles who nailed him to a cross and killed him. Jesus' death. Second gospel point. He's unpacking the gospel for him. He's saying, hey, hey, you killed him. The guy you were waiting for, the superhero, the one who's supposed to save the day, you've been living your life waiting for him, he's dead. Good job. And so as we see that happen and we see that unpacked, we, we kind of look at the scripture. And he goes, don't worry, though. It was all part of the plan. And then he gets to the next part and he goes, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. Speaking to the resurrection. The resurrection is what really proved Jesus to be the Messiah. Because if Jesus dies, he's just another martyr. He's just another person that's died for what's to come. But if he rises from the dead, then he is the Messiah who they are looking for, who they've been waiting for. And so he goes on, he talks about King David. And King David says this, he says, I see the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts as praises. My body rests in hope for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. Jesus, Jesus, King David is speaking to the resurrection. He's speaking to this resurrection. And Peter, knowing who his audience is, understanding who his audience is, he's speaking into him going, hey, you guys know these scriptures. You grew up on these scriptures. You understand that the descendant was supposed to come from King David's line. You understand the story. He's speaking right into him. To us, we look at these, we look at prophecy, and we're going, what the heck's going on here? But the Jewish mind, they're going, I track you. Okay, 
cool. All the way to the point, he brings it all the way back around to say, this is why you're seeing what you're seeing, because the spirit has descended. Yes, you killed the Messiah, but he is risen. And they're like, what do we do? I mean, he says their hearts were pierced. And they go, and Peter goes, repent. Repent from this crooked generation. And so 3,000 people come to know Jesus that day, surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, the gospel message. And we're, and we're sitting here going, if we all look at that message, I think a lot of us are going, man, that's, that's, that's a solid sermon, Peter. Like, good job, give you a B plus. But I don't necessarily understand all the pieces of that, how they all fit together and how that represents the gospel. And uh, it's kind of interesting because we're called to take this gospel to the ends of the world. We're called to take this to different places. And we see Peter, who's like, he knows his audience, he knows who he's speaking to, and he shares it from the Jewish standpoint, who's looking forward to a Messiah. We're going, great, that works back then. Now what do we do today? Because we're called to take this message to the ends of the earth. And so it leaves me with three points. And the first point I want to talk about is what is the gospel, right? And I think we overcomplicate it. I think we add a lot to it. We, we do a lot of things. But really the gospel is three things. And I already said them. It's the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. That's it. You don't got to add any more to it. We do, but you don't got to add any more to it. Jesus came. He lived. He showed us. He, he walked the earth. He showed us what the Father is like. He lived a perfect life. And then he died. He died because of our failures, of our, of our sin, of our mistakes, of our rebellion. He died. He had to be the sacrifice for that. Someone needed to be because we were not right in God's eyes. And then all of a sudden we get to the resurrection. It's like, but don't worry. He died, but he rose again. He rose. That's the gospel. It doesn't get any more complicated. Peter puts that into the message. That's it. He's, yeah, he's, got the, he's got stuff from the prophet Joel in there. He's got stuff from King David in there. He's got all kinds of stuff, but he has the gospel message inside of the scripture. And what I, what I like to find with us in society today is we, we overcomplicate it. We add so much to it. We put pieces on it. We put this burden on our back that we've got to carry the gospel through the door. That like, man, we, yeah, we got to take it to the ends of the earth. We've got to take it places. And what I find more, more often than not is that when I look at us as a, as a Christian community and where we're at and how we're following Jesus, I think we all are preaching different messages. We're, and we're all living different messages. And so it brings me to my second point is what message, what gospel are you preaching? Because I think we're all preaching a different gospel message. That's the truth of it. And some of us go, well, what does that necessarily mean? Well, some of us preach a gospel of prosperity, right? It's like, man, just follow Jesus. Just give your life to Jesus. He'll give you everything you ever need. He'll make you rich. You're going to get that house that you wanted. You know that car? Oh, the season you're in? Oh, he, he's going to get you out of that. No problem. And we, we preach like Jesus is the doctor that's going to make all the symptoms go away. And some of us, we preach a gospel of criticism. We're like, we're just picking people apart according to the law. We're like, you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. Can't believe you're doing this. And it's like, oh my gosh. And we all do it. We all have moments. And the reason we're trying to do it is because the gospel's so hard to explain. It's like, would the life, death, and resurrection of Christ just work? 
Why do we got to add all the other stuff to it? But then, I, then I, I think even more that the gospel is not always about the message we preach, but it's about the message we live, right? And it takes, it takes, a, it takes a lot of us to uh, kind of, this one's kind of hard. I don't want to get political, but it doesn't take one, it, it, all it takes is 30 seconds on Facebook to understand that the church is divided. We got people going on there and there's like, oh no, man, Jesus is a Republican. No, 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 Jesus is a Democrat. No, 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 Jesus is for this. No, 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 Jesus is for that. Like that's the message we preach. We preach about what we believe about some amendment or some right or some law more louder than we preach about the gospel. And we're wondering why no one wants anything to do with us or the message or or the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And we're... We're preaching the wrong message. We're adding things to it. That, it that, that Jesus is this person who believes in this. And so therefore, since I'm a Christian, I believe that. It's like, no, no, no. It's about the gospel. Stop adding to the gospel. Stop putting pieces in there that aren't in there. You don't see it in there. You don't see Jesus doing that. And as I, I think about, you know, how do we take gospel to the culture today? How do we take the good news to culture? How do we take it to people and, and you know, and really go, man, we're going to reach students who don't know the name of Jesus, who don't understand what sin is. And, and that's, that's where we're going to go with it. And I, and I think we look at that, we look at the, the task ahead and we go, man, I've got to, I've got to share, I've got to share it with my my neighbor who's wrestling with drug addiction. I've got to share it with my, my spouse who's spending all my money. <laughs> but that's what we do. We put all this weight on ourselves and we're trying to go with it. And yet we get all fascinated about communicating the gospel, but yet how we live the gospel is so different. And so I just, uh, I, as we go to culture, as we wrestle this out, it's a, it's a really tough thing to look at, but I, I think there's something that we have to back up. We, we can't go with this idea of like, hey, we're going we're gonna to take the gospel till the ends of the earth. It's on us. We're going to do it. You know, this message doesn't make sense, and it's hard to explain. And so what I believe is, is one of the things I found in Scripture is one of the points is that here's what you need to understand. It's my third and final point, is that the gospel doesn't need your help. It doesn't need your help. It really doesn't. It doesn't need you to add to it. It doesn't need you to do it. It doesn't need any of that. And we like to do that. We think, man, I got to carry this. And he's like, no, it doesn't need your help. It's been around for 2,000 years. I think it's going to make it a lot longer. No matter how many times we butchered it, no matter how many times we've added to it, no matter how many times we've got it wrong, it still works. No matter how many times you didn't share it, it still worked. And so we look at culture today and we're, we're stuck with this big challenge. It's like, how do we do this? How do we go forward with the gospel, what we're called to do? And I back up and I, I take a step back and I go, I don't know that that's, that we're supposed to be carrying the weight we put on ourselves. And I want to go to a passage here that was earlier in scripture. It's in Acts 2.23. It says, but God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out 
when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Now I want to show you this word in different. The word betrayed there comes from the Greek word ektatos. Now see it here in the Passion Translation. I just want to show you something. It says, man's destiny was prearranged for God knew that Jesus would be handed over to you to be crucified and that you would execute him on a cross by the hands of lawless men. It's like betrayed and then handed over. Man, it's such a, such a different, different words to kind of relay the same meaning because I don't think we pull that from it. So now if we go and look at the word ektatos, we see it here and it says it describes those surrendered, handed over, given up to their enemies or the power or will of someone else. It's the only time it's mentioned in the New Testament is in Acts 2.23. It's the only time you'll find that word. And I, and I look at Jesus, right? And I, and I see this moment and I, and I see him and it's like Jesus laid the foundation. He laid the way. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm gonna lay myself down. I'm gonna give myself to my people. I'm gonna give myself to my enemies. I'm gonna hand myself over, still keeping the message intact, still following God, but I'm gonna hand myself, surrender myself over And I'm going to let the gospel do the work of the gospel. And and it's interesting to me because so many of us are like, I got to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I got to go. I got to do this. I got to share it with my family. I got to share it with my neighbor. When really I see it, man, for so many of us to accept the gospel is actually an ectotos moment for us. It's not about us going to the ends of the earth. It's understanding that the gospel doesn't need our help. We need it. We need it. It's the only hope we have for divorce, for this country, for everything. It's the gospel. We've let politics divide us and the gospel is supposed to unite us. We're supposed to have this actitas in our lives. We surrender ourselves to our enemies, to the people who don't agree with us, to the people we don't like. We give ourselves away following the gospel. Don't put it on yourself. Don't don't wear the pressure. Here's what I know. God is going to, the gospel works because the Holy Spirit is alive and well. It's not on you. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ, it works every single time. It will not fail. It works for your marriage. It works for your finances. It works for your relational. It works every time. I promise you, it works. I'll go to the house. I'm all in. But it doesn't work if one's all in. It doesn't work if if you're sitting here and letting letting Jesus lay everything on the line for you, but you're going to go, I don't know if I can trust you. It's like, no. Who? He went all in. God's like, I'm giving my son for you. It doesn't make sense. Why would you give yourself? Why would you surrender yourself to your enemies? Ectatos. Man, so I I just want to sit here and understand this thing that God is going to lead you through a season. The Holy Spirit is going to, if the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into a desert to be tempted, then the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into a season that's going to suck. It's going to hurt. It's going to make you cry. It's going to make you want to go the other way. It's going to make you doubt God. It's going to make you run so many different directions. But the truth is that season may be the very thing that makes the gospel work. 
So I don't know what you're going through. Don't follow Jesus because he's going to take your problems away. Follow Jesus because he's always going to be with you. Surrender because he's right beside you all the time. So I want to I lead us in a moment, an ectatos moment right here where we surrender ourselves. I believe some of you out there, yes, I'm not going to preach a gospel that's about salvation. I'm going to preach a gospel that's about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We're not going so we can have a purpose and a plan and all this stuff. We're going because Jesus is here. So let's, I'm going to have you guys bow your heads. I'm going to have you close your eyes. Salvation's part of it. The plan's part of it. But this is a moment where we just get to give ourselves, surrender ourselves to Jesus. We get to have an ectatos to him. And so we all need it because that's where the gospel starts. It starts with us. And so, Father, pray these words with me. I believe in your life. I believe in your death. And I believe that you rose again from the grave three days later. And if that death is sufficient for me, then it's sufficient for anyone. And I just want to surrender myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen.